Welcome everyone to our Thursday night Stargate Roundtable. We're happy to have all of you here and we have a good uh, group, on, a team on the, um, on the line with you tonight. So let's begin by the going, doing a little round robin here and seeing who we have. Randy, you want to start? Uh, Marita, don't you want to have Vinayak start first? He might do the meditation. Is that all right? Right, he's going to. Okay, well, we can start. Vinayak, you step forward and we'll do the meditation and then before I come to you. That'll be, that'll be good. Okay. So, good evening, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to this call. Uh, since there is no time, you're in the now, and we invite you to join us in the now moment this meditation. So allow yourself to take three very deep cleansing breaths. And just let go of all that you've seen, heard, or experienced today in your world. For it is all perception. <clears throat> and your perception is always correct. Because it is your perception. It may not be in alignment or agreement with anyone else's perception. So with that in mind... Take another deep breath and acknowledge that you are here, present, fully embodied within spirit, having this physical experience. And I invite you to choose to know that all is well in your kingdom as it is ours. For we are all one. And we are here today, this evening, now, in this moment, to receive the guidance from your higher and inner being of self. The greater part of you that knows what I had just shared with you, which is all is indeed well and going exactly as planned by each one of us, for we are the creators of all our experiences. And if by chance there's something that you're not in alignment with regarding your own creations, I would like to invite you to just forgive yourself right now. And you can do that by just taking in a deep breath and say, I forgive myself with the exhale. 
all is divinely guided and we are all one. And I invite us all to choose to have more love and experience more love in our life in this very moment starting now. And begin by loving yourself exactly as you are. The flawless being of spiritual perfection of which you embody in this physical presence that you now call or that you call you. We are indeed blessed to be here with each other. We are indeed blessed to bring about this transformation, this transforming of our earth as we ascend, continuing our ascension into the third, uh, excuse me, the fifth dimension and beyond. Everything is exactly the way it needs to be right now. No matter what it looks like, it is calling each and every one of us to experience and to send forth more love from your heart. And let that love radiate out from your heart right now. As you feel the grounding cord from your feet and your root chakra, the base of your spine, anchored into the Mother Earth, and your divine beingness with an open channel that radiates above you as high and as wide and as full of light as you can envision and imagine right now. And with those grounding channels being open and the higher channels being open, radiate love from your heart right now. And see everything is being resolved. All conflicts, anything that seems to be, appears to be out of sort or unlike something that we would choose other than love. For everything that's going on right now is simply asking for more love as we radiate that from our hearts to each other. And with that, experience the gratitude for yourself, 
and for everyone on this call whenever they hear this call as it is the call of love as we share with you our experiences and our perceptions and our joys and maybe even disappointments we are creators and we are transforming all of it in this now moment and know that you're blessed know that you're a god and gods and goddesses and all spiritual beings radiating and choosing divine inspirational oneness and with that I pass the talking stick and bid you adieu with namaste please stay on the call for the rest of our panel to share with you well thank you very much I'm glad that you were able to step in and and uh, do the opening for us this evening do you have anything else that you want to report from uh, the island? Uh, all I will say is that it has indeed been a challenging time, I think, for most of us. And I just keep going back to that which I've shared with you before, which is calling upon more love from myself and doing the best that I know how to do in this very moment to radiate love to everyone else that I experience. For I know it's not by accident that they're there in my world. <laughs> and I do recognize the, them all as part of my own creation. Some of which I would certainly choose differently. However... <laughs> I created what I created, and now transformation is upon us, and that's what I'm choosing. All is well in Hawaii, as far as I can tell at the moment. I'm glad you don't have any uh, major weather challenges or uh, eruptions or anything going on out there. So That's right. And we're just sending all the love and all the light and rain, gentle rain to our cousins and brothers and sisters in Australia and all the beings that are involved. Right. So. We can collectively, all of us, uh, send and ask for rain to help put the fires out. Absolutely. Enough is enough. And I'm just seeing everything is melting away, what needs to be melted and transformed. And we did have a, a, a nice legal action where the legal action, that I can't remember the exact name of it, but I put it on my Facebook page if anybody's interested. You can see where they call upon the various governments to restore and reclaiming their sovereignty 
in all of Hawaii, for it was illegally and unlawfully and an act of war taken from us. So that's, in my mind, quite huge for these islands of Hawaii. So, so what? So what you're saying is that uh, uh, that uh, that what was taken away from them is that what you're referring to? They they have re- they have now taken legal action to regain their sovereignty. Okay. And this just happened Monday or Tuesday, I think it was. Today's Thursday. Actually, I'm in kind of a timeless space. I don't know if anybody else has been experiencing that. <laughs> yes. But the timelessness is, uh, I mean, I don't know what day and time it is anymore. Yeah. It's, just, it's hard to remember I, what day it is. Absolutely. The other day, I would have, uh, Tuesday, I would have swore it was Sunday. <laughs> All day long, I couldn't get it in my head that it was Tuesday. Uh-huh. So, anyway, so as, as far we are as shifting timelines. Um, as far as the sovereignty goes, uh, Vinayak, you're talking not just about Native Hawaiians, but the whole state. The whole state, yes. Yeah, wow. I think I read something like that. Because it, it will affect the whole state, but certainly the Native uh, Hawaiians directly, but indirectly, I think it's going to affect all of us. And because of the illegal occupation of Hawaii that was taken away from our queen many, many years ago, hundreds of years ago, I think. So they finally filed that legal action. And unfortunately, don't know the status of that at the moment. However, it is a milestone for this to have taken place because it it involves um, immense documentation of how the sovereignty was stolen and actually an act of war upon Hawaii by the U.S. government. Yeah. So. I don't and, think we, we really England know much came. about that as far as we in our history books or what's well, just like with the Native Americans. None yeah. of the, you know, that's just all covered up. And, you, you know, um, I was having a discussion uh, with um, a brother this week and we were talking about that had the Native Americans all united instead of fighting with each other because they had always been at war with each other. If they had united, we probably, as white people, would have not even been able to take over the country. Yeah, they they thought of each other as being like the other, you know, very separate from one another. Mm -hmm. Well, that was all perpetrated also, remember, that, you know, the divide and conquer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that that's permeated been going the, on for eons of time. World. Yes, exactly. Warring with each other. Yeah. Instead of uniting in the oneness and the love that we're now experiencing, you know, on this planet, I would have to say. 
more and more, and as I understand it, we crossed a threshold, some major threshold of over 144,000 that chose to call upon the light and love at the same time in their location worldwide. <clears throat> and I don't know all the details on that either, but it's either published on Facebook or maybe some of the panel knows more about it than I do. Mm-hmm. So we are we are transforming. We are shifting in my mind regardless of what it looks like, I know that that's all part of the illusion and I'm doing my best to stay out of the illusion and forgiving myself when I slip into the illusion and just asking my heart to give out more love than I've ever done before. Blessing. Yes. Um, I think it has to do with Queen Lilio Kalani and King Kamehameha, and that the U.S. Marines basically they just invaded and they they uh, threw her out of her position and just took the whole place over. Do you know what date that was about? It was in the late. It was in the very late 1800s. I'm not exactly sure. 18. Yeah, that's what I thought. Late 1800s. 1893, 94, somewhere and, in there. And, and, and she surrendered because they told her that it would, uh, it would be given back to her, I think, as I understand it, which is all a lie, of course. Absolutely. That's the way it is. That you sounds know? just about right, don't you think? So, yeah, I mean, these <laughs> lies are now coming forward and... Again, we have to remember that there are no there are no bad guys, there are no victims. We're all co-creating this and was allowing us to experience and and to lift the energies of this planet is as we see these discrepancies and uh, illegalities everywhere. And what the people did is they turned to the uh, Kahuna people, uh, their spiritual teachers. Right. And uh, that reminds me, uh, two weeks from uh, last Tuesday, we'll be having another Ashtar on the road. And those Kahuna ladies are going to be our guests. What's their names? Le- 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 oh, Leahu Le- 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 and uh, Leahu Ryder and and, and, and uh, Nadine. Yeah. So wonderful. Can, yeah, yeah, they are. They are. They represent that that spiritual <coughs> lineage very, very well. And they're powerful ladies. Yes. With such a beautiful message every single time. Yeah. They they have not forgotten their connection that some of the rest of people have. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Caroline, what's going on in your world? <laughs> I asked the collective if they wanted to say something, and then I started tuning into what Vinayak was saying and stopped listening to them. So hopefully they'll feed me something right now. Okay. Um, okay. Well, they're saying um, 
awareness is very high about these. There were 120 fires in Australia out of control, which is astounding. I can't even picture that. 32 of them were put out over the past 24 hours or so by sudden rains, which have caused some fla- caused some flash flooding because of lack of vegetation. There's also a lot of activity in volcanoes. They want us to, they're, they're just saying, stay centered, come out of reaction mode. It would be easy to go into reaction mode about things going on politically in this country, in the Middle East, about the earth changes, the fires, which have absolutely been deliberately set for the most part, um, about uh, these volcanoes, about the earthquake in Puerto Rico, very, very easy to react. And they're saying you can respond with light. You know, you can respond with holding all of these situations in a higher light and drawing out image the highest possible good and highest possible outcomes uh, arriving for all the people who are experiencing this firsthand, uh, particularly children, animals, trees, you know, the beings, these beautiful beings we really need to protect because of their vulnerability. Um, Gosh, there's a picture on the internet right now. I have to break in and say there's a picture on the internet of uh, Joey who lost his mom, lost his mom, (laughs) they would say in Australia, and he's holding uh, a teddy bear. And um, it's very comforting for him to hold the teddy bear. They like to hug people as well once they know them, the kangaroos. And some of them have been hugging the people who have saved them. And thankfully, the koalas are not aggressive animals, so it hasn't been hard for people to just pick them up and take them to places where they will be um, tended to and their little paws can be uh, bandaged. Um, They're baby joeys, even newborns, who people are raising because they've lost their mother. She, you know, the the baby fell out of the pouch or what have you. So, um, you know, it's easy to look at these images and uh, feel you want to sort of reach out and hug these little ones, let alone the children who are terrified. Um, I saw another image of one mother with two children, two or three children, and another mother with her, with holding one child, and they were in the water. They were um, clinging to um, a, uh, a uh, what's it called? You know, it goes out, it's wooden, it goes out a dock. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, I still have problems with word finding sometimes. Um, but they were clinging to the uh, pillars of the dock, and uh, everything around them was red because there were the fires on the beach and uh, you know, wherever there was vegetation on land, it was, you know, there was just this red glow everywhere because of the fires. And the children looked highly distressed. Um, I just, uh, you know, we can look at that and join them in their distress, or we can uh, move to a higher level, which means in some ways transmuting our emotional bodies out of reaction, out of that PTSD that comes about naturally from having been a human in hundreds of Earth lives, such as most of us have lived, and saying, I'm going to choose a higher path now, and lifting that harmed, that shocked, that reactive self to a higher level vibrationally. If you can just image doing that, like you're running up the musical scale to a higher note, or lifting things up out of that situation up into the air, 
um, lifting yourself up out of it, lifting these dear ones who, are, who have been in shock and fear and loss. Um, you know, it just image raising things however you have to or use rain. We did this on the abundance call last week. We brought in rain to dissolve uh, negative, dense, difficult situations, including old trauma we've been carrying around, sort of like a heavy sack. And that just um, <clears throat> dwarfs and diminutizes our life energy and suppresses our creativity to deal with problems creative, you know, in a positive, creative way. So uh, creative solutions. So um, they're just asking us, don't let your emotional vibration dip down as you're looking at stuff online or on the television or, or you're reading it somewhere. Um, just um, realize this isn't the whole story and there's so much going on behind the scenes. There's so much help coming to us now galactically and etherically. And uh, I had a moment today looking at all this stuff online where I was kind of visually looking, visualizing, looking up at the sky at our galactic brothers and sisters in their ships. And I said, we could use a little help down here. And it's not the first time I've said that. And I think a lot of us are saying that right now. And then I said it to the angelic realms as well. So, you know, we can do this. We can call on help. And we're not alone. They just want to stress that. So thank you. Caroline, I just... When you were speaking, Caroline, I just had this image that came to me, and perhaps some of the others on your call, on the call received this as well. If you are blessed enough to be able to, to have a shower or to take a shower, yeah, visualize that gentle that shower that you're experiencing as being a cleansing rain for all of the planet and wherever is needed mm -hmm. uh, for the droughts and, and for the fires and just know that the earth is being replenished as you cleanse yourself just and feel that gentle rain coming onto the planet wherever it's needed. Beautiful. So. Absolutely beautiful. That. That's a daily thing, you know, maybe sometimes more than that. Wonderful. Um, there's also the sound of rain falling gently on YouTube. I've been playing that in the background. I have a friend in Arizona who does native ceremony, and he's been doing a lot of ceremony for rain in Australia. And then it poured here today, and I was laughing. I thought, oh, it worked here. <laughs> You know, obviously, I don't give myself that kind of credit. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. And then it rained in Australia, and I thought, yay, <laughs> Richard's ceremony worked. So I think there's probably shamans doing rain dances and rain ceremony all over the world, and we have to bless and thank them for that. But that's a lovely idea, the rain, you know, the shower, and using that as a rain image. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, thank you, Bernard. And and with, with it, you can visualize hearts. And, and love just pouring onto the planet everywhere. Just showering. Yeah. Shower of love, yeah. Perfect. Showers of love. Higher energies, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Caroline. Yeah. Sure. Well, there, that would really be helpful in this country as we have all of the, yeah. uh, the stuff going on here. So that's a good image to, uh, to use for that as well. It is. Perfect. So. Perfect. Well, let's hear from... 
Randy, and see what's going on on the other side of the world here. Greetings, everyone. Well, I would like to concur with every with everything that's been said so far and add a little bit more. We have to realize that it may look that it's absolute, utter chaos in the world right now. But understand that mixed within that chaos is cosmic div- divine energy. And that energy is helping to change our awareness of not only ourselves, but our planet. And as Caroline of Nyack was describing what's going on, the image I got was, is quite comical, Mother Earth as a dirty sink full of dishes. And she's <laughs> had enough, and she, it's time to scrub and clean the dishes. So she's doing what she wants to do. Volcanoes, tornadoes, rain, wind. That's her dishwasher. So what <laughs> she's doing, she's basically cleaning the dishes. Our job is to help her with the energy in doing so. The animals know what's going on. All the animals in Australia, you can imagine that their senses, they can sense these things before they happen. But again, when you're in an area where there's a fire and you want to go to the nether area where you thought was safe and it's full of fire too, then you get kind of lost. You get magnetically lost because the magnetics of the planet are changing in such a way that the animals are losing their bearings. It's the same as us humans are losing our bearings. We're doing something, and five minutes later, uh, what was I doing? What am I doing here? Huh? Where did the last four hours go? Where did yesterday go? What day is it? That's because the magnetics of the planet are changing into a higher frequency. We're leaving the third dimensional energy. We're going to the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and beyond. But because we're taking our physical body with us, it's going to be a little bit tough. Body's going to ache. It's going to do all sorts of different things. It's a process. Ascension isn't the flash in the pan where, and then that's it. We're all fine. Everything. It's a process because we're taking the physicality with us. This is what Mother Earth wants. This is what we all want. And something else. The new moon falls on the same day as the Chinese New Year Lunar New Year. The year of the rat, the first sign of the 12 animal cycle of the Chinese zodiac. This represents new beginnings and renewals. This January 24th and 25th new moon is the beginning of major changes in the world. Music, fashion, trends, as well as anything inauthentic will no longer work. Think fake lifestyle for social media, businesses who only focus on money. Anything deceptive, fake, and not in tune with your soul will not work for you much longer. If you're not ready to change and go with the flow, you'll have a hard time emotionally, which can lead to more damage. If you flow, accept success, prosperity, and good luck. This is a good time to start new projects. Folks, it's like the universe is lining everything up for us. And we just have to go with the flow. If you don't like the news, shut it off. (laughs) You don't have to watch it. You don't have to have all those devices on around all the time. Shut the computers off. Shut the phones off. Take them silly watches that you've got around your wrists that are telling you, is your heart fine? Is this fine? If you don't know it's fine, 
you shouldn't be in your body. This is what people <laughs> fail to realize with the technology that's being shoved down our throats. Every single bit of this technology has an underlying feature to take away our awareness of ourselves and to rely upon technology to tell us that there's something wrong. Dr. Andrew Paharich worked on what was called a Tesla watch and mm -hmm. worked and developed a watch based on Tesla's energies that you could wear and tell time and it was run from the battery of your body. But you can't get them anymore because they were stifled right away. They didn't want that. Anytime you put a watch on your wrist, what's right there? The veins and arteries that feed your heart. Why do they take your pulse there? Because it's the strongest there. So if you want to disturb someone's heart, put a watch on. I don't wear watches. I always blow them up. That's an <laughs> indication of the body saying to you, you don't need this. You don't need to exist within time. Because we're not existing within that 12-hour, 60-second cycle time anymore. We're changing into the original 13-moon, 28-day calendar. But the priests and the authorities that changed this millions of, not millions of years ago, hundreds of years ago, don't like it. That's fine. Don't like it. Because love has already won. Namaste. Well, thank you for reminding me. We had uh, uh, we totally enjoyed working with some of the uh, watches and those. And uh, unfortunately, like you say, um, that was stopped, and we weren't able to continue to um, to do that. So it's when you think about so many of the energetic things that uh, have been in our lives, and then. Something else comes along, and it is just a progression of uh, of change, and and what uh, it'll be here until somebody uh, finds out that it's going on, and then decides maybe uh, they don't want people to advance and grow in those areas. So, well, Rama, did you find uh, any time to talk to people this week? Have who have you talked to, and what's going on? <laughs> yeah, really. Greetings. Greetings, everybody. <laughs> what I can say that is going on is, like Commander Randy said, the shift of the ages. And the thing that I'll bring in to the other side of this story that I'm hearing from various ETs out there and angels and fairy lords, uh, it, that's affecting every single particle on this planet, is there's this quantum super wave that's coming in from Galactic Center. And this has been going on for a while. Uh. <laughs> you rang. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, honey. Uh, and this galactic wave of energy that's coming in is affecting all the planets, all the local 
systems. And right at this time, let's say it's on the outer edges of our solar system, just slowly starting to affect the gravitational field of Pluto and Neptune, but it's being felt already by our sun and all the other planets. And what this is, is these energies that light up the sun, like 10 trillion suns, that is about this, uh, I could say, flash, but it's not in the context that's being described on the internet as something that causes extinction-level events. What it's about is an electromagnetic shift that is so huge. It's affecting Earth's magnetic field, the moon, all the planets. And this is why they're heating up at the cores as well as the poles. And as this gets revealed more and more, it has to do with how all the scientists, all the global people who talk about climate disruption, 12 years or less. And it's even less than that. Yeah. Because what Lord Cryon is saying and many of the other folks who run the mechanics of the solar system, these waves of energy are already coming in and they're affecting the planet. They're affecting us. This is opening up the doorway for transfigurational change. We're already seeing as we watch this old, corrupted, colluded story fall apart here in the United States as the impeachment trial has begun. At the same time, across the planet, Mr. Putin's opening the doorway for something that hasn't happened in our lifetimes that is really big. Democratizing the government because what they did is completely shut down the entire government. Yet, uh, this has been a, in a planning stage for at least the last nine months. Yes. And um, it's a way for him to stay in power, yet by diminishing the powers of the president, the president and increasing the powers of the parliament. And, uh, and uh, it also keeps him in power for another reason, because he's a contactee of the Andromedans. And he has kind of taken the role or the mantle of the peacemaker, uh, around the planet at the time. Yes, he's replaced the United States as the uh, peacemaker in all situations. He's 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 doing a wonderful job too, uh, and uh, of course the United States is uh, collapsing on its face. Not the people, 
No. Not the people. It, it is the corruption at the top. And it is about the the black budget, the deep state, the spook industry. And we are watching literally in real time an episode of The Sopranos or The Godfather playing out. <laughs> and it's kind of scary. And at the same time, uh, a message that, you know, this election is coming up. You know, I'll just say it from my heart. Bernie opens the doorway for, you know, I'll say Michelle Obama. Yet, at the same time, that's not being discussed on any level. We need to see this through how the closure of this happens. And bear in mind, it's not about the um, Putin or the Russian governments, the oligarchs and the Russian mafia tied in with the Khazarian mafia. And right now, Israel, uh, behind the scenes, let's say that, you know, this whole story has to do with the fall of Israel because they don't represent the true story of the Hebrews. And this has not been told. There are other parts of this story that are coming about as well as Harry and Meghan have put themselves at arm's length from the royals and something Harry said to the press and to the rest of the world basically is you're not going to do what you did to my mother with the paparazzi constantly following us whether we go to the bathroom or we go to a concert or we go to the cricket game or whatever we do and I mean it's at that level where they're going to go and have a private life. All of this ties in with the greater stories of how transfigurational change is going on that is so huge right now. And, and also, um, Na uh, Natasha spoke to you today, right? Yes. And, she, and Rama starts off, he says, between the snow, we've got a good 10, 11 inches of snow on the ground. It's not stopped snowing. It's still snowing. But um, between the snow and the very, very slow traffic, I received a call from Lady Natasha this morning. And she said to me, Lord Rama, Mr. Putin, like we were just saying, has opened the doorway for democratic reformation in the Russian government. Uh, and this is being orchestrated from the higher realms. For the last nine months, this great change has been carefully negotiated with the help of the Andromedans. Meanwhile, in the United States, the opening proceedings of this impeachment trial beginning, uh, and it is bigger than Watergate, bigger than Roswell, and it goes into the story of the deep state, the black budget, 
and what has been going on for the last 10,000 years as the fallen angels took a stronghold over Mother Gaia and her children by genetic engineering of our DNA and our food. Everything is hitting the fan. As we watch the impeachment trial, Mr. McTurtle and other senators have already admitted that they cannot be impartial. For, for starters, the story of Mr. Parnas plays like an episode of The Godfather. And Rudy Giuliani is in, right in the thick of it. And, uh, uh, and this is going to very soon lead to 9-11 as he orchestrated 9-11 as the inside job it was. Yeah. As mayor, uh, along with a whole bunch of other folks, including uh, that uh, $50 billion Bloomberg, Bloomberg character. Bloomberg and uh, Larry Silverstein. Larry Silverstein and Donald Trump uh, put bets on the put options on the night before 9/11 and came out with billions of dollars. As Building Number Seven turned to dust. Yeah, not just Building Number Seven. You can build it all. <laughs> yeah. But see, the thing is that I was just nonchalantly. You know, I go over things I've recorded, you know, and I haven't had a chance to go over. <coughs> and um, I went uh, back to, like, November 8th, I believe it was, and it, or the 6th. It was the 6th uh, of last year, and there was a documentary, and it started off with Dennis Kucinich. And he said, I think it's highly probable the administration, this is 2000 and, 2006, the administration has already made the decision to go to war against Iran. There are already U.S. troops inside Iran. This was a statement he was making before the uh, U.S. sanctions hearing at the United States Congressional Subcommittee meeting on May 2nd, 2006. And then he said, I want to repeat that. There are already U.S. troops inside Iran. Then Jeremy Scahill comes on and says, the United States has long had its eyes set on trying to impact regime change in Iran. And much of what you have seen the United States doing with regard to Iran has been on a covert level. So... Uh, I never expected to hear Dennis Kucinich on that documentary, so we may go ahead and play that. But this is leading me to another thing, because I want to go back to Tuesday at the Democratic uh, debate, and there was this, uh, after the debate, uh, uh, Bernie went up to give a handshake to Elizabeth Warren, and she put her hands back and wouldn't shake his hand. And uh, the gist of the conversation was not being able to be heard very well. Mr. Steyer was kind of like the, the referee or something, but Bernie was very quiet. and uh, She turned away from him after she said what she said to him, and she went completely off in the other direction. Now, I also remember back before John Stewart uh, took his uh, uh, retirement and one of the last people he interviewed was 
Elizabeth Warren and he called her out and Rami remembers it has to something to do with her connection with Big Pharma. Yeah. And um, she was you could see she was very nervous and she was not she wasn't answering him directly. And so then I want to go back and also remember that after uh, Hillary Clinton after she stole the nomination from Bernie, she had Elizabeth Warren going around with her everywhere and uh, campaigning with her. And I was just like, that was very curious, you know. And um, so this has a longer history than we appear to see. And so CNN is Hillary Clinton's station. She basically, she controls everything that goes on there. So the question actually came in the form of a fact that they are saying was a fact. And the, the lady, the long, long brown hair, she said it to Bernie first. She said, it's understood that you uh, said that a woman could not win the 2020 um, election. And then they had, at, you know, what do you say about this, Bernie? And Bernie said, well, first of all, I didn't say that. And he went on to, you know, elucidate on, you know, it's not about anything other than working with uh, addressing uh, the fossil fuel industry and, uh, and the controlling, um, um, uh, what do you the CEOs, corporate corporations. And, and their stronghold uh, as uh, that has to be over, overthrown, basically. Anyway, Tara, then, Tara, yes. Tara, yeah. today I heard a uh, clip of Bernie, and he was saying, or he was uh, denying that he wouldn't say that a, a woman couldn't win. He says, obviously, um, in the last uh, election, she had three... Um, had so many more votes than what Trump did, but that was that didn't uh, because of all the things that happened. Even though it was the electoral college that put him in, but that when you look just at, at the uh, popular vote, um, he said, you know, we can't say that a woman couldn't win because she she did get the popular vote. So he was using that as a um, a thing as he was speaking uh, about what was going on here with the handshake and all of that. Yeah. I'm just going to say it's actually what's not true about that. And, you know, I just got to say it because now you brought it up because the votes were switched. And uh, um, sad to say Donald Trump got those extra three million votes but they weren't the ones that were strategically needed so that the electoral college could put him in office. The, the votes that um, uh, Hillary got were the ones that were attributed to, to, to Donald Trump. Uh, but see, they were, he, he won by a small margin, quote unquote, 
And that's very, very questionable, too, because all the different states rigged all the votes through tons of votes away. But, uh, you know, it gave him Michigan, it gave him Wisconsin, it gave him Pennsylvania, and what was the other one? Illinois or something. I can't remember the fourth one. But those other votes were all concentrated in either New York or California. So they didn't really spread around the votes. Uh, so that's a whole nother story. So uh, anyway, the uh, <coughs> electoral college is controlled by that pyramid. Your mom has sent you that pyramid, right, Marita? So that they, the um, you might say the deep state, uh, they have uh, polar fights, you know, and deciding uh, that the time, um, 9-11-2016, if you can remember, Hillary Clinton was at ground zero, and uh, she tripped over the, uh, over the curb, and her whole body went stiff, and literally, uh, because it was a clone, uh, it, it's, it just locked in place. It stopped moving. And these two large, you know, goons, if you want to put that word in it, picked her up and she was still stiff. And they just slid her into the back of the limousine and shut the door. And then she was gone for three hours and they reported that she was at her daughter's house, Chelsea, up on the 10th floor or something of the high rise. And then she came out and she looked much younger, which it was different clone completely. And that's always the case when something, someone is cloned, they're much younger looking. So that was a younger version, cloned version of her that came back out there. So that's where at that point in time, and remember around that same time, there was a deba debate maybe right before or so. Uh, and she went and she hollered very loudly to the, to the station in the back room. And uh, I think if you remember, we read about that where she was very, very not in her body and she was using every naughty word and then some that you never heard of in the book. And the people in the studio just said, I never heard anybody curse like that in my life you know so the the uh, they switched and decided to put Trump in there because they could not uh, control her she would, she would be very very difficult to control so they decided to just put him in so all of these decisions have been being made from that deep state level so okay so so what Elizabeth Warren did when she was asked next after Bernie said what he said is that um, she acted as if it were true that Bernie had said it. And she said, I disagreed with him. That's how she answered. And I said to Rama, something's wrong. Yeah. Very wrong. And so we started to explore Hillary Clinton because... <coughs> Remember that uh, Elizabeth was uh, campaigning for her after Hillary stole the, uh, oh, it's time to go. But uh, really quick, what we discovered is that Hillary Clinton's father, Hugh Rodham, ran the Chicago mob 
after Al Capone died from 1947 until 1991. He did it at the deep state level. There were front men that we found the lists upon lists of the names of the people from this state to that day yeah. that were considering running the mob. Yet behind the scenes, Hugh Rodham, Hillary's father, ran that mob all the way through at the deep state level until 1999, and it was handed over to Hillary. Hillary Clinton has been running the deep state, you know, CIA, etc., since 1991, even though she's now just a hologram out there. And it's really important to comprehend what this means because every killing, every every horrifying thing that's ever happened gets decided from that state, deep state level. Politicians have no authority. But the membership that she is of the families, uh, at, if you go to the very top of the line, is she's a Rothschild. Mm-hmm. And the Rothschilds, are on that 13 uh, levels, you know, with the 13 families thing. So, um, and she was slated to become president from the day that she started. She came as a Republican. And so, uh, uh, so uh, her father, as the head of the mob at the deep state level, had something to do with the murder of JFK, only it was a clone of him, so JFK is alive. Same thing with Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy is alive and well. Rama got a call from the real Ted Kennedy in 2006, and he said, they gave me a clone, and the clone they gave a brain cancer to, and they're going to look like I died. Just pay attention, because you're going to notice something. And who took Ted Kennedy's seat but Elizabeth Warren? Yes. Oh, my Lord. Yes. So Elizabeth Warren is... As Bernie said, he said this, he he started saying it last September. He said, uh, Elizabeth Warren is the candidate of the elites. She's owned by Wall Street, which is a shame. Oh, what a shame. Yes. And and the reason she looks so gaunt when she's talking about this is because they're going to kill her if she doesn't follow suit. Yeah. That's how deep that the level of this is. Same thing wow. with that guy Parnas that gave that interview to uh, to um, Rachel. Rachel. The reason he did that instead of going to the courts and everything is because he he's been afraid they were going to kill him before he could tell the story, and so he chose to do it this way. And that's very interesting because Elizabeth, I mean um, Rachel. Is controlled by Hillary too. Yes. This is just Rachel. Rachel Maddow. Yes. Absolutely. Under threat or willingly. Uh, you 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 don't have anything to say. It's hey, all, we have, it's all folks. We have Carlton on line uh, four. I yeah. Think. Okay. Carlton. Sorry. Hey there, team. Hi. Hi, Carlton. Can you hear me okay? Hey. Yeah. So now so now we got to go backwards a little bit. Because originally when I called, I was just going to say, you know, um, uh, we, we know that the uh, 2016 election was rigged all over the place. So, you know, when Bernie made the comment he made, he was really just trying to say this is 
you know, if if I uh, you know if I recognize that Hillary, Hillary Clinton could potentially have won the election, I'm not going to say that a woman can't win. That, that, that's really the the main point there. I think he was trying to get across. But now, so when you mention Rachel Maddow, because many times you've spoken, uh, I mean, we listen to a lot of her shows and everything. You mean you speak very highly of her, but saying, hey, you know, she's still corporate media, so she's under gag order. Are you saying that she's willingly or unwillingly? Um, um, uh, under uh, the control of Hillary Clinton. I don't know if anybody does it willingly, but anyway, I hope I hope you're not saying that uh, she's a fraud. If you're an anchor person on these stations, you're all controlled, everybody. It doesn't matter who it is. Right. <coughs> True. It's still corporate media. Yeah. But um, are you saying that uh, ultimately uh, she... Uh, is a willing tool of uh, the deep state or unwilling? Well, Rama asked Action Three White Knights a number of times about Rachel, and Rachel was communicating with Rama for years, and then and then she stopped. Yeah, and uh, Rama asked <laughs> asked the king about it, and he said he just basically said the jury's out; she's on her own now. But, Oh, that's dicey. Okay. Well, these these things yeah. these things come up. Um, but you know what? I, I don't recall this. I may not have been listening in at the time. But um, where are these earthquakes from Puerto Rico coming from? And if they are induced somehow by deep state, I mean, uh, you know, it, it seems like that that uh, island is is the intention is to destabilize it as much as they're trying to. They've been trying to destabilize Haiti for two hundred years. What's going on? Oh, of course, because uh, people of color don't count in this world. You know, that's got to do with the doctrine of discovery, which, you know, back in 1452 said that they were going to remove every person of color they could possibly do. And that this was going to be a white supremacist world completely and totally. With a view to conquering other planets, because you don't have to call yourself a supremacist if everybody's the same color. Unless you want great gradations of supremacy, which certainly is the truth. Look at well, England, you know, it was well, a totally we, white country for so long, and there were all these classes. But sorry, go ahead. Okay, Caroline. I was just going to say we have been going to other planets for 10,000 years. We yeah. have human beings that are slaves. Uh, digging up minerals and all kinds of stuff on Mars, and they've been doing that for 10,000 years because we've been yeah. using more than six planets worth of stuff, and we've been having to get it from other planets. And Gabrielle is with us. Um, there was, uh, 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 the first number was printed a, an eight instead of a six, and so that's why we were having trouble. So uh, it was just a printing error here that uh, happened in the message. So I take responsibility for that and she is with us now okay and we hey, well thank you i'll uh tune out blaze the violet flame thank you <laughs> okay what i'd like to yeah. ask everyone before we bring the guest on is to put all the elders that were at standing rock in our circle of support because many of them right now are dying of cancer Yes. They were sprayed with chemicals and all sorts of other things, and many, many of them are in absolute agony. So I'd like to put all the elders of Standing Rock in a circle of support. Namaste. 
Thank you, yeah. Randy. Okay. Gabrielle, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you well. Okay. Well, you know, when I uh, listened to this woman at the uh, energy medicine conference I uh, went to, I was so attracted to uh, listening to her workshop and then the presentation she did for the whole group about the the research and stuff with Bill Tiller. And, it, of course, I have been uh, aware and and I didn't know at the time, but I was involved with the the consciousness project and uh, and followed that for what eighteen months or whatever it was. Yeah. And yeah. And and so, in retrospect, I I realize why I was resonating with it so much because okay, I'd, know, I'd known Bill for so long and uh, since nineteen seventy five, and yeah. uh, in, f- in fact, just about three years ago, he actually came to our uh, uh, psychotronics, radionics conference in mm-hmm. Chicago. And so when I heard you, it was such a, uh, it was, there was just such an attraction. And I thought, I just have to get back in touch with you. So thank you for answering the call. And now I'm figuring out uh, uh, a little bit why that I was so uh, drawn to that. So I don't know where you would uh, like to start, except that, um, you know, how did you decide to become uh, involved with this and investigate this consciousness growth project? Yes. So um, I originally was born in Germany, and I got my um, studies in psychology all in the States because in Germany you have to have seven years of Latin to be able to study (laughs) psychology because it's a science. And so... I didn't have that, and then I heard, you know, in the States, you can just pay for your classes, and you can get a degree, so that's why I came, came. and in my dissertation studies, I was very um, regular in terms of the science, the, the measurements, the, you know, the kind of consciousness in my dissertation, which was on the effect of maternal depression on young children. And then I had nothing to do after the dissertation was done. And I fell into a real bad hole. Like, I thought, you know, this is going to be so great to have everything finished. And I felt very blue. And luckily, an older student had pointed that out, that that could be a possibility. So then, with nothing to do, I decided to go to a weekend seminar on intuition. And... um that was my beginning of weekend seminars, working with subtle energy, intuition. But in my private practice, I tried to be, you know, very official and well-trained <laughs> and not mm-hmm. let anything leak out. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had years of training in energy medicine, and um, I had watched the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? And then at a IONS fundraiser, I ran into an old friend of mine, Jason Utopoulos, who was on the board of IONS, and he recognized me. He said, you know, have you heard about Professor Tiller? <laughs> yes, I saw him in the movie. And he said, Professor Tiller is looking for a clinical psychologist 
to run another study with him, and you can pick any topic you like. And he said, you know, other studies have dealt with anxiety, depression, uh, Cindy Reed in 2005, then uh, an autism study with Susie Miller in 2012, I think. And um, so I was not so sure that, you know, a clinical condition could really be affected by a, a, a subtle energy transmission. And I said to Jason, you know, one of the biggest struggles we have in any form of psychotherapy is for people to be kind to themselves. In the 70s, we had, you know, love yourself. But how do you do that? I mean, the narcissists <laughs> already know how to do that, but it, there was no instruction. And then it morphed towards uh, self-esteem. And that fell flat because self-esteem can rise and fall within 20 minutes, uh, depending on the feedback you get from the outside. So I said to Jason, you know, if I can do this study on self-compassion and we can raise self-compassion in participants when they don't do any exercises, they're not going to therapy, they're not hearing anything, they're only filling out questionnaires at the end of each month and send in some personal testimonials. And I said, if we can show that you can increase self-compassion that way, I'm in. And he said, sure, <laughs> anything you like. And so Professor Tula and I met, and he said, yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm getting older. He's now 90. Uh, this also involves you presenting papers at conferences and speaking to large audience because I'm not hitting the road again, so... I said that was just fine with me. So this is how we got started. And, um, you know, given I was not that thrilled about having to write a dissertation, I never dreamt that I would do two more studies of the size of a dissertation. That was not at all on my screen, but this is what we ended up doing. So... That's how I got involved, and um, my personal motivation was to have a vehicle where I could scientifically investigate three key experiences that had shaped my life and my work. Would you like to hear about Sure. Well, we, uh, I, you know, I was aware of some of the studies that were done with, uh, you know, with children sending the, um, you know, building little boxes and doing that uh, early on. And so what you're talking about here is just uh, um, maybe the, the culmination of what uh, some of the earlier research had been done. So I'm excited to hear how did you do this and, and what did you learn? Yes, so um, what uh, there were the prayer studies that were done in the 1980 and 90s by Elizabeth Targ, and she 
uh, did studies um, where people were praying for AIDS patients and um, another study uh, with women who had breast cancer. And um, and she could show significant results. She got a grant of a million and a half to work this way. Wow. <laughs> uh, so that was great. But then one of the problems of those studies were that how do you know what exactly the people are doing that are praying? So you could create a text that each one recites, but you don't know about the intensity, the belief system, the energetics of each person praying. So that was one of the problems that we had, you know, figuring out what was the that made the study somewhat unreliable and they did not have control studies. Mm-hmm. Then we had the Maharishi uh, study where people prayed. Um, I think it was for Washington, D.C. or Chicago, I forgot. Um, and the crime rate went down for the duration of the study. Again, I think it was Washington, D.C. Right, right. Yes, okay. Yes, okay. So, and they showed that the the crime rate dropped on all the measurements that they had uh, chosen. But then it went back up again after the study was over. So those were the forerunners. And, you know, the other aspect is like if you go, you know, to a healer and you have a profound experience, over time it might fade or not stay that much with you. So what is the ingenious part of the study that we did with Professor Tiller was that he had invented an intention host device while he was the chairman of the material science department at Stanford. Mm -hmm. So he tells stories about, you know, I mean, as a chairman, he did the traditional curriculum with... uh, all the ins and outs of the faculty meetings. And then on the weekend, um, he did consciousness studies. And then he would say in lectures and seminars, oh, I'm from Stanford. And Stanford hated that (laughs) because they were not really endorsing at that time any studies in consciousness. So he he created a device that is like... um, it's like uh, the size of two cassette tape boxes. You know, remember the old cassette tapes? Mm-hmm. And um, this device has a crystalline structure inside. And meditators who are well-trained and can meditate at a very deep level, like four of them gather around this device and focus on the same content, like they have a text in front of them, and they meditate on this intention. So um, you probably are familiar with the work of David Hawkins, The Map of Consciousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we had somebody calibrate from the Hawkins Institute, we had somebody calibrate the frequency 
of our healing intention, which was at 540, uh, which is unconditional love. So we wanted to make sure that the intention was at a high frequency and could then resonate with that part within ourselves that already knows who we really are, that is, you know, part of the all that is. So this device, because it holds the intention for three months, uh, sends out the signal, which is subtle energy, at a consistent rate for three months. Then we refresh it, and it goes again. So then we scroll the names and addresses of participants of the studies in front of the this intention host device, and we believe that there is an entanglement effect so that people in the consciousness field project, our last study, lived all over the world. I think we had participants from 38 countries. Um, and like I said, they didn't hear anything. They didn't have to do any practices. They just filled out on their phone a quick survey at the end of the month measuring their self-compassion, measuring their mental, emotional, and physical health. And um, then we used um, another measurement, the Barrett Value Inventory, which is not a validated measurement, but it shows you where people are clustering between uh, ego mind and then higher consciousness. It's a very, very beautiful measurement that I use in my clinical practice. It just is gold. So how did you um, uh, uh, evaluate what what was going on? Maybe people would under would like to know a little bit about uh, that process. Mm-hmm. So we chose the Neff self compassion test. Christine Neff is a professor of psychology at uh, Austin, Texas. She's a Buddhist in background, and she developed a wonderful uh, self-compassion test, 25 items that you rate on a level from 1 to 5, that covers the Buddhist concept of self-compassion. Then we use the Promise NIF Health Inventory, also a widely used instrument, and then we had the Barrett Value Inventory, and then we collected testimonials where people would describe what kind of changes they actually experienced on a month-to-month basis. So we send it to their iPhone or um, computer, very quick to fill out those surveys, and then we had our statistician collect all the data and then run statistics um, to find out if we had obtained valid results. And do you think that um, uh, how, you know, we were taught not to uh, maybe put ourselves first and be uh, so involved with that uh, and the self-compassion, uh, 
there was a, a big hurdle to get over that, it seems to me, uh, just so that people could start actually loving themselves because we're taught in our culture uh, maybe that's not a good thing. Right. And so, you know, people, most people have gotten as far to say compassion for others is a good thing. But self-compassion, um, people are more skeptical that that is a good thing. And it's based on an incorrect understanding of what self-compassion actually is. So some people think, you know, self-compassion is a form of self-pity, when actually it's the antidote to self-pity. Self-pity meaning we're whining about our bad lot in life. And self-compassion holds, we hold ourselves with kindness, like our best friend might talk to us when some difficult event has occurred. And we treat ourselves with acceptance that life is difficult at times and patience. So with self-compassion, research worldwide has shown that self-compassionate people have better mental health. Um, When Christine Neff has given seminars in corporations, she said initially, you know, the, the lecture goes well, And then when she invites people to have self-compassion for themselves, uh, particularly the highly ambitious um, people uh, have shared that they hear self-compassion means weakness, uh, that you are giving yourself a way out, when in reality the opposite is true. It's the most powerful source of coping and resiliency. So when we go through a major crisis like a divorce, job loss, we support and talk to ourselves in ways that we would talk when we would comfort a friend. Another prejudice against self-compassion could be that self-compassion will make me complacent. And research actually shows that self-compassion is by far more effective than self-punishment. Self-compassion allows us to apologize for any transgression when we don't live up to our own standards, and it strengthens our personal accountability. So how do you think that we, is it because of religion that we have come to have this belief about uh, it's not okay to take care of ourselves? That we're being selfish? Um, Right. I think that is at the core of it. And, um, you know, that's the prejudice that people have. And they actually believe um, that self-criticism allows you to improve and get better. And let me read you a a quote by Janine Roth. Uh, She says, For some reason, we're truly convinced that if we criticize ourselves, the criticism will lead to change. If we are harsh, we believe we will end up being kind. If we shame ourselves, we believe we will end up loving ourselves. 
It has mm-hmm. never been true, not for a mm-hmm. moment, that shame mm-hmm. leads to love. Only love leads to love. Mm-hmm. So I think we're suffering from a lot of religious PTSD. <laughs> that, yes. Um, yeah, that that in you know it's I I, I in my research I looked up uh, self worth and it was actually for the first time showing up in the English literature in thirteen hundred and twenty six and it was a monk praying and what he wrote down was that we're not worthy in the eyes of God so. Okay, so that, you know, that was his notion. But our brain immediately goes to the opposite, worthy and unworthy. And if you are honest, you can't feel worthiness inside. You can feel okayness or acceptance, but worthiness is a concept that has no emotions attached to it. But unworthiness, this is where we can get going and, and list a whole bunch of things that where we are limited, where we're flawed, and where we have to hide how damaged we are from the eyes of others. So this avalanche of worthiness, unworthiness, then it went to deserving, undeserving, is all mental caca. There's nothing, <laughs> nothing to it. Mm-hmm. It's a concept, it's a religious concept that the missionaries took to all kinds of different countries worldwide. And when you look at indigenous people, some tribes of Indians in the Amazon, uh, they were studied by anthropologists, they had a totally different sense of self where they weren't critical of themselves. They did the best they could, and that was it. And nobody else was criticizing them either. And it was just a matter of we all are in this together, and we all do our best. So we think that our culture so much believes that, you know, unworthiness and not deserving is who we are. And we even call it our basic ego fear of not being good enough. But it's really conditioning. There is no evidence that any of these concepts are actually existing other than in our minds. So how can we best, and uh, how can you uh, best help our listeners to change that belief system or um, accept some of the new information that, that was gained in these studies. Yes. Yeah, so, so you asked about, you know, what is the barrier to self-compassion? And mm-hmm. I would say it's the religious PTSD that we're not supposed to feel good about ourselves, accepting. I'm not talking about narcissism, you know, exaggerating our value or anything like that. But just that we are okay and We cannot compare ourselves to anyone next to us because we are all unique and nobody has ever been alive that is like you and there never will be anyone 
So any comparison is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. So I think it starts by sort of like uh, challenging those deeply ingrained beliefs that it's natural to feel self-critical. And so you can imagine when we got results where people were increasing self-kindness, lowering self-judgment, um, becoming less angry at spouses, dropping grudges that had existed for years. I was reading those testimonials, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing that people can change without going to therapy and without um, having to do writing exercises and, you know, all those kind of tedious things <laughs> that we use mm-hmm. to change in therapy. So, um, and uh, initially, um, we had the idea based on a story that I actually heard Wayne Dyer talk about at a conference. And he told the story about the Babemba tribe of South Africa. It's a very small tribe, like maybe 50 people or so, that if anyone in this tribe acts irresponsibly or unjustly, all work stops. And everyone gathers in the center of the village and forms a large circle around the offender. And every member of the tribe, regardless of age, shares with the offender positive attributes, strengths, good deeds, and acts of kindness throughout his or her lifetime they can recall. And when everyone has recounted all that they can remember, the circle is broken and the person is symbolically and literally welcomed back into the tribe with joyful celebration. Now contrast that to our interventions where we tell an addict in the family, you impacted us this way, you impacted us that way, you wrecked the car and I was really upset over it, reinforcing actually the negative. So what we did in our study was uh, using the uh, consciousness map of David Hawkins. Our message, we thought, was perhaps entangling with the higher self of each person. You know, it's a bad term perhaps, but... That part of us that knows we are not just this limited physical human being, we are part of the universe. And so sending a message to that higher self, David Hawkins uh, described that all kind of ego mind neurotic thinking and acting just falls away like dead leaves. And there is a rise in understanding who we really are and to act from that position. And that's indeed what we found. Well, you know, it's um, some of these things 
we take for granted because we grow up in the culture and that's that's how we think it is and to think outside the box and and begin to to think well how uh, why why is it this way and how can we change it i think that that was the first big um step that i saw in some of the things that uh, dr taylor did early on mm-hmm. it was like helping people to think in a different way and not yes. just because the culture you raised in, you know, could it be another way? Right, right, right. And so right. one of the things that shaped me as a young therapist, I was um, able to attend a four-year training on psychedelic psychotherapy in Switzerland. We had a government permit to work with psychedelics with highly disturbed people and then to document um, how they improved with LSD or MDMA or mushrooms. And um, that was a remarkable experience. I mean, right after my dissertation, it just blew my mind. And what I saw and what shaped me there was that, you know, you have somebody who is really hardcore, not wanting to talk. An hour into an LSD journey, I just asked, you know, why are you saying these things to your wife? And the person stopped and said, well, if I say this, then she does that, and then I have more space and she's off my back. And as the sitter, I would write things down. And over time, I realized, I went to my trainers and said, you know, when people are in this expanded consciousness, they're not broken. There is no diagnostic uh, category to describe them. They're healthy. They are inspired. They know truth. What is this? You know, it goes against all psychological textbooks that, you know, Freud said, you know, you grow up in a miserable uh, family and your childhood was bad and gives you, like, internal holes like Swiss cheese and the therapy can plaster it over it but that's the best we can do and you kind of are limping on a lower trajectory and what I saw was no it was a mindset a system of false beliefs that imprisoned a person and on psychedelics they could tap themselves into their own deeper truth I just had to ask questions, and many of the listeners will be familiar with Michael Pollan's book on how to change your mind. Yes? I I don't think I know that. Oh. Michael Pollan? It's Michael Pollan. No. Oh, it's called How to Change Your Mind. It came out two years ago. And he wrote about what happens, what happened for him during psychedelic experiences, what he understood, what he learned. And chapter five in his book is an exquisite description of the neuroscience of what happens in the brain where people have entirely different perspectives. And it basically, the psychedelics shut down the default program, our negativity bias, and all the things we tell ourselves about who we are. There's less blood flow to that area. 
and then it opens up blood flow in the an area of the prefrontal cortex. So you have more perspective. You see what really happened. And you can distinguish what is my story and what is real. It's fabulous. And with the latest psychedelic research that the FDA has been um, endorsing with the Institute of MAPS, um, they're in their third trial of working with MDMA, LSD, mushrooms for very specific populations like cancer patients. Um, and um, there was a study at Stanford Hospital with um, autistic females, adults, who had social phobias, and they used MDMA. So we are not stuck with our belief system. But in my training back then in Switzerland, you know, we would do an integration session the next day, and people would go, oh, I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm like, okay, according to my notes, yesterday you were clear that you say this to your wife because then she does this, she does that, and that's what you want. And confronting people on, yeah, you can bring back the old thoughts and beliefs, but um, you now have a choice. So tying it back to David Hawkins' last book that he wrote with another author, and I forgot her name. That book is called Letting Go, and um, it's fabulous. It pulls together in a more organized way his entire thinking and um, his own observations about that if you go to higher frequencies within your being, then emotions like jealousy falls away. Um, so that's where it, our research tied in directly with David Hawkins. Mm-hmm. And that's what we showed, that, that that is what happened. Let's see if any of our panel members here um, want to ask a question. I, mm-hmm. I think I heard, I heard um, somebody start to speak up a little a moment ago. Caroline, was that you? Yeah, I mean, I've heard of that book. Um, I haven't ever read it, but it's interesting because don't you feel a lot of this really has to do with the subconscious? And and how does your uh, approach deal with that? And subconscious patterns and inherited patterns. Right. So the way we were thinking is that you know, in regular therapy, um, when you confront a client about some dysfunctional behavior, immediately, you know, suggesting possible change, there's an ego resistance that comes up. Yeah. And people go, oh, I can't, and this and that, and, you know, I've done this for 40 years, and yes. And so when we were sending the subtle energy transmission. When you don't hear anything, you don't see anything, and most people participating in this 18-month study um, sometimes, you know, even forgot what the study was about. And so then when we could bypass the ego resistance, 
See, that was the elegant part of the study, where we weren't struggling with people saying, oh, you know, I'm from the East Coast, and I don't believe that change is possible, and clearly my partner <laughs> is never going to change. Yeah, and, sure. Or, you know, people from Europe, they are also much more change-resistant than oh, yeah. here in California. You know, where people really don't believe that they can change, and they hold them firm that they this is just the way I am. And the interesting thing in our pilot study, we had two animals. Uh, they were both rescue animals, a dog and a cat, who had been skittish for years. And the owners were in our pilot study. And over a few weeks, the dog who had just growled at men and bitten them into the trousers and the shoes quietly sat next to men and let themselves let himself be pet petted and mm. the cat became much more uh cozy and um uh, allowing herself also to sit next to the owner so when we sent the transmission to the home of a participant um uh, it goes into the walls they get saturated um we also can find them by name or by cell phone number anywhere in the world. And um, so, uh, you know, this change we could observe even with some relatives who had no idea that one of the members of the family, like an older child, um, had been part of the study, and the mother changed. And the, the stepdad, who was still grouchy about the 2008 stock market crash, did not change at all, according to our study participant. But the mother lost weight. She went to yoga classes. She made new friends. And the mother was in her late 50s and had never changed before to that high degree. Wow. So really, it works etherically, wouldn't you say? It yes. works in the mm -hmm. etheric energies? Right. And then that affects every part of the consciousness. And tell us again, how do you send the transmission? Um, we created a text that um, is about, you know, type page long that the meditators were reading silently while focusing mm -hmm. on the content and meditating on the content, which was basically that um, it is our ego mind that is seeing things as separate from us. Our deeper self uh, knows that we are all interconnected and we can mm -hmm. tap into that. Basically, along those lines, we had our healing intention. And um, the participants read it once when they signed up for the study, but then I think everyone forgot about it. <laughs> and I had one wow. person, and she was a client of mine, and an old client of mine, and 
uh, she had signed up for the study, and then she made an appointment to come in. She was like mid-50s, and she said, you know, I just signed up for this, the self-compassion study, but uh, I have to tell you, I didn't read your website. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I had this strong dream, and I usually don't dream, and in the dream, I said out loud, I will not let anyone anymore criticize me. I'm good enough. I am beautiful. I have an inner core that is unique and part of everything. And she said, what is the study about? <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's self-compassion yeah. and overcoming, self-criticism, self-judgment. And she was floored. And I said, you know, it started three weeks ago. You're already getting the transmission. So, wow. And we had a woman who was a minister. She was in her mid-50s. And she actually sensed the transmission, the energy of it. The day mm -hmm. Professor Tiller and his wife and people from his lab were imbuing the device. And she emailed me and she said, oh, I get it. It has already started. Hmm. I'm like, we haven't done the entanglement yet with your name and address. It says, it's already happening. I'm hmm. getting it. I can feel it. Wow. So how do people tap into this? How would listeners take advantage are you sharing it well, with everyone, yeah, or is so, it still so in beta? Are, <laughs> yeah, so we have closed the studies, and I'm doing right now the scientific write-up. Um, but mm -hmm. we are offering the healing intention for anyone who wants to receive it for, you know, three mm -hmm. months, six wow. months. And uh, it's for a small fee of $90 a month. You can give it as a gift to somebody who you know, is going through surgery or uh, going through a divorce as a gift of support. So people can sign up. They go to our website, selfcompassionintention.com, selfcompassionintention.com, um, and they can just sign up for however long they would like to receive transmission or suggest who they want to gift the transmission to. And what we found is that, um, and Professor Tiller learned that in other studies, it's like people like in a family system with autistic children who were not willing or against receiving the transmission, they didn't change. So it's not like, you know, like subliminal um, words creeping into your mind like in the you know, 60s when in the movie theaters they send subliminal messages to eat more popcorn and drink Coke. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, right? And so that's not that way. It has to be an entanglement of your higher self allowing for the intention to come in. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I, you know, I see you have a testimonial here on your homepage from Janine Roth, who is yes. an amazing human being. 
And right. I don't know if you want to explain who she is. I'm in awe of her. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead? Yes, I, I forgot well, I think where she, exactly. The, yes. This is the dear lady who, um, <clears throat> who was 90 pounds overweight at some point and realized that the self-criticism and the negativity she was feeding herself was breaking her down. It wasn't helping her drop the weight. And so she turned all that around completely. And I don't know how her whole program works. I just know that she departed from the whole weight loss industry outlook of yes. mm-hmm. hate yourself, go into right. deprivation, go into extreme restriction, right. uh, something nobody can stick with forever. And eventually you'll become acceptable that way, which is an, abom- an abomination. Absolutely yes. wretched. And she yes. just, um, you know said no. <laughs> She's yeah. amazing. And she dropped the right. weight. She's quite thin. You'd never know yes. she was thin. She was overweight. Yes, yeah. I have. Actually, I have now remember I've seen her in San Francisco give seminars. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. So maybe I'm just... I, I mentioned the different categories. <laughs> yeah, oh, you're talking about the four, the four key concepts. That's what I'm just now looking at. There um, well, it's like, you know, people improved their lifestyle choices. Like somebody said, um, I started doing things with my friends, and I never felt I could afford to take the time or direct expense. Another one said, I'm starting to be okay with my aging process. If I choose to work in the garden instead of vacuuming, so be it. Mm-hmm. And we had also, you know, increased resiliency. Uh, somebody said, you know, my new attitude towards my life continues more positive in most of my dealings. Somebody else said, less concerned about others' opinions of me. Another one, I speak up more often. I stand up for myself. I'm more confident. All pain, old pain, doesn't hold me back. Mm-hmm. Let me give the phone number for people that would like to call in and ask a question. This number is free for the United States and Canada, 888-429-5471, 888-429-5471. A second number is 323 323-744-4841. So if you'd like to be part of the conversation or ask a question and see how you can apply this in your life, um, please give us a call. And the rest yeah. of the panel members here want to speak up, we can, we can do that until we have some callers if you have questions as well. So, so, so Marita Robert, can I uh, introduce myself, Gabrielle? Yes. I am, I am Tara, and... Um, I'm part of the panel here. Yes. Uh, and um, there was something you were saying about when you went to Switzerland and you did that research project and people were taking different right. LSD mushrooms and yes. whatever. Anyway, there's this uh, commentary by a neurologist named David Perlmuter. And... He said, 
the amygdala is like the child in the room. It's impulsivity. It's narcissism. It's us versus them. It's fear. The prefrontal cortex, which I believe you mentioned, Mm -hmm. is empathy. Is empathy. It's compassion. It's thinking about the future in terms of what we do today. So I am making the estimated um, uh, guess that the prefrontal cortex got stimulated with those uh, mushrooms, etc. Yes, medicine. Mm -hmm. Yes, and and the the fear from the child and all the other things went into a receded state. Am I correct? Correct. And people can see the story they have been telling about who they are, and they see it like, oh, I'm just telling it this way um, because I don't have a new story about who I am. You know, the story is my identity. Yeah. Yeah. I think we don't uh, realize that we have a story. Uh, I mean... People just grow up and say this is like it is and and assume that this is how it is and don't realize that it could be a different story or that how did they get that belief system. So helping people to have the awareness, I think that's one of the things that, that we can gain from what you're talking about here. It is possible to change if you realize that it's possible to change. Right. And so the beauty was in our study that, you know, we saw a decreased amygdala reactivity, which is the fight-flight-freeze. Like somebody said, I have been able to talk myself out of some intense fears about my partner. I realized that the fear was mine and had nothing to do with him. Just from mm-hmm. hearing, from, from receiving a subtle energy transmission, doesn't anyone want that? <laughs> yeah. Right? It addresses projection. It, it That's amazing. And somebody else said, I better understand my anger and not give in to it, and I'm more aware of responding instead of reacting to situations that are uncomfortable to me. Now, that level of awareness and change is is amazing. That is. So we are thinking of, you know, offering, for example, a healing intention to um, the emergency room at a hospital or to a bank that is, you know, where there is little cooperation. And we had one inquiry from a soccer team in Sweden, and the trainer was asking if our healing intention could um, bring about greater cooperation among the players. And we said, yes, we can do that. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And it's inexpensive. It's worldwide. We can have thousands of people. And as part of our approach, we did think about sending a healing intention to Washington, D.C. about a year ago. 
you know, to just send it to zip codes of all politicians, not just one party, anyone <laughs> who is under the stress of, you know, the parliament, the House. And it was yeah. just an overwhelming project. But um, we thought about it, and we missed uh, some financing on it. And so it's it's in my file on my computer. <laughs> Hmm. Any Folks, other questions? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Gabrielle? Uh-huh. I was I was going to ask you um I don't know if you've been observing some of the astrological changes going on. Something very large occurred this Sunday. It's it hasn't happened in 500 years. Wow. And the last time it happened was in January of 1518. And it was two months earlier that Martin Luther, he, uh, oh. he hammered, he hammered yes. his uh, thesis, you know, his 95-point uh, yes. thesis on the church door there. Yes. And then he started the Protestant Revolution or whatever, Reformation. Uh -huh. Reformation. So yes. then... Just 30, uh, 43 years later, Sir Francis Bacon was born to Queen Elizabeth I, and mm -hmm. then he started something called the Renaissance with the, yeah. the same energies, you know, in that period of time. And St. Germain's still here. And yeah. right now, as uh, he is uh, uh, here, this thing this pro this uh 500 year and it's the configuration is of pluto meeting with saturn and mm. conjunct capricorn that's the thing that didn't happen in 500 years and pluto wow. is total pluto's total transformation like yeah. all the old religious belief systems are just going adios and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, Saturn is, you know, uh, uh, um, in its new dispensation with that complete transformation represents uh, getting off the wheel of karma and getting on the wow. wheel of dharma. And yes. yeah, and so and 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 then you put that to a to a mountain goat called Capricorn, you can do anything. Yep. And I think yes. that's what's happening. Right now, we are climbing every mountain. We are fording every stream. We're following every rainbow. And that's the dream that we're going to dream. That will be awesome. Yes. I am going to be watching with you, you know, where the breakthroughs <laughs> are, what new is coming in, and what new teachers we're going to have. Because Luther <laughs> was totally unknown until... Um, he, you know, put the declaration on the doors of the church. Mm -hmm. And he yeah. basically said that, you know, God lives within. God does not right. live in heaven. That was <laughs> right. yeah. awesome. Yes. So Good. as our listeners and as our panel here... Um, if you could give us some uh, suggestions about uh, maybe 
and just to review the things that everyone can do themselves um, to get started along this path, what kind of thinking they need to do to uh, facilitate that. So there is a free test on the Internet by Christine Neff. That's the Neff, N-E-F-F, self-compassion test. And you fill out those 25 items, and you get a computer-scored result back to your email inbox uh, within a few minutes. And I think it starts by honestly filling out that test and to really see where you are ending up. I gave the test to one of my clients who was a former player of the 49ers and his wife was just like beautifully self-compassionate. And he basically uh, had no self-compassion. He said, I just this is the first test. I'm not doing well on. I'm like, no, your coach never said, Hey, take it easy. Take a deep breath. If you could have caught that ball, you would have. Just be in acceptance of what is showing up in your life. And he rolled his eyes and said, yep, nobody ever said that. And I'm like, okay, it's now time in your life to get started. It's now time to learn that self-compassion and compassion for others is your next horizon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So taking the test can be quite a wake-up call for people because I think, you know, particularly high achievers, they think, oh, I'm very self-compassionate. No, you fill out that test and you go, oh, <laughs> lacking a little here and there. Hmm. But then you know, and then you're motivated to... Explore further. So, Gabrielle, what's the website so we can go there? It's nefselfcompassiontest.com. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very good. Well, this is really wonderful to have a follow-up, a way for people to continue to do this and... uh, uh, it's fascinating um, if we could, you know, of course, this is part of the researcher in me. It's like, how can we bring this together and, and allow people to share what they've learned and come back together again uh, on the mm-hmm. subject? So um, do you have yes. some suggestions for maybe how to facilitate that or how, how could people get the most out of it? Or are we just allowing them to go do it on their own? Well, it's like um, we are talking to different businesses because nobody has ever thought that you can have a healing intention for a team of people. So hospitals, Mm -hmm. you know, cancer wards, um, cancer infusion centers are prime to get the support of the self-compassion healing intention. Um, it also first needs to enter people's minds. And so I find myself at different conferences talking about it, opening up the whole topic of self-compassion and the whole topic about what we have been telling ourselves who we are 
that we are flawed and um, not good enough um, is a myth, and that we have to start there. So um, that's the direction I'm going, and you know, bringing it more to the public's attention. And so this mm-hmm. podcast is great. Yes. Well, we are so grateful that you've uh, uh, given us your time and and your expertise here to help us start to think in a new way about uh, uh, self-compassion because I think that, like you say, in our culture and in our business, that's not uh, um, not the way that most people think. Right, right, correct. So, so thank you for having me. This was a pleasure, and maybe I see you next year again at the ICM conference. I hope so. Yes, okay. I look forward to it. So thank yes. you so much, and we'll keep in touch, and blessings yeah. on your day. Great. Thank, thank you, Dr. Hilbert. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Great discussion tonight, guys. We enjoyed you so much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. really Please. wonderful. Thank you. thank you. Great. So we are ready to close out the call for tonight. We look forward to seeing all of you next week. So music maestro, please.